Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, do you remember when we ended our study in Joshua, how Joshua at Shechem, when he says, you know, uh, choose for you this day whom you shall serve. He says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And then all the camp of Israel, they say, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to do that. We're going to worship the Lord and we will remember the Lord. We're going to teach our kids. We're going to tell our grandkids and we're going to do exactly that. And praise be to the Lord. But then what happens is that you turn the page and you get to the book of Judges. And what happens? They forget the Lord. A generation that forgets the Lord and generation upon generation upon generation that forgets the Lord. And then you see how the Lord raises up these judges. For such a time as this, in their age, in their generation, in their era, in their dispensation, for such a time as that, raised up as jumper cables to revive Israel. We've seen it already, and here we are in Judges chapter 6, and we see it yet again. And we start here in Judges 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. It breaks my heart. It kills me. I mean, you'd, you'd think would be done by now. You'd think the lessons would have been learned already, but they're not. Now, again, remember our study in Hebrews. There is an inability of the law to address the heart. How the law is incapable. You see the loopholes in the law. On the majority. But remember, there's that inner chamber of faith. Very few entered. But the ones that did. Remember in our study in Hebrews how... You know, because they didn't have the mixture of faith, not being mixed with faith. But then you get to Hebrews 11, and you're like, wait, I see faith. But then it's like, you know, Hebrews says, you know, not being mixed in with faith. But then you get to Hebrews 11. It's like, well, wait a second. Here's faith here. Here's faith. this guy, this lady, this beautiful lady, this beautiful guy. And wait a second. How, how is it that the Bible says not being mixed with faith, but then all of a sudden we get to faith? Well, because on the majority... No mixture of faith. On the remnant, a mixture of faith. You see? And the Lord is reactionary. You see? And so what does the Lord do here in Judges 1 when the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord? So in verse 1, the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. You see, I hate saying that, you know, it's more of the same. I don't like saying that. But let's be straight up. It's exactly what it is, more of the same, the ups and downs of Israel. But what about the ups and downs in the life of a believer? Because it absolutely happens. It doesn't need to happen, and it shouldn't happen, but yet it does. You see? And who is it that the Lord raises up in their day? We've seen Ehud. We've seen beautiful Deborah, one of my favorites. Who is it that the Lord raises up for such a time as this? In their era, we have Ehud, we have Deborah, you know, we have Yael, another one of my favorites. What about today when the Lord has become forgotten? Not if the Lord becomes forgotten. Straight up, the Lord is forgotten today among the masses, but among the remnant? 
for such a time as this. Because understand that when the Lord raises a person up, there's a very specific formula. This is why we stress formula, 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 formula. There's a very specific formula. And so we see how in verse 2, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. Remember Deuteronomy? Where Moses, in his farewell discourse in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, remember, you guys aren't inheriting the land because you're awesome. He says, no, you're a stiff-necked people. He says, it's because of their wickedness. It's because of them. It's because of their wickedness. And what about when Israel are the ones who turn to wickedness in forgetting the Lord? You see what happens? They lose land. They lose land. Midian prevailed against Israel. And Israel, they fled to the mountains to live in caves. And we see here in verse 3, so it was. Whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. You see, another alliance against Israel. Another alliance. We've already seen multiple alliances. And you have yet another alliance rising up against Israel. Nothing new under the sun. And they do prevail against Israel as a result of Israel forgetting the Lord. Verse 4, then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. Notice, talk about oppression. Talk about oppression, what we see here. In verse 5, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as, as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. You see, I mean, say, for example, you're at the grocery store. You go to the grocery store and you're getting produce for your family. And all of a sudden, hordes of people come and take all the produce and you get nothing. Because it's, everything's been taken. And that's what's happening here to Israel. No sustenance for the people. No sustenance for the sheep. Nor ox. Nor donkey. You see? You see a picture of famine. But it's self-inflicted famine. As a result of the Lord becoming forgotten. He's there. I mean, verse 1. They do evil. And the Lord is there. They do evil in the sight of the Lord. He bears witness. You see? And so the Lord, you know, when he becomes forgotten, who are the ones who in their heart of hearts refuse to forget the Lord and honor the Lord? You see? Deborah is one of them. Beautiful, beautiful Deborah. I'm so in love with her. Beautiful Ehud. I'm so in love with him. And it's so powerful because we have male, female, young, old, and even still today, a generation of people, a remnant, who do not forget the Lord. And that is the remnant. Very specific formula. Notice what happens here in verse 6. 
So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Remember, in verse 4, no sustenance. They're greatly impoverished in verse 6. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. You see, this is good and it's also kind of sad. I meant good in the sense that, you know, praise the Lord that they're crying out to him. But it's also kind of sad because, you know, why, why does it have to get to this point to cry out to God? I mean, in a sense, it's sad because, you know, it, 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 it's also beautiful because the Lord responds. You see? I mean, for some of us, well, let me speak for myself in my own life. It's pretty sad that I didn't cry out to God sooner. This was like, you know, 25 years ago. But it's pretty sad that I didn't cry out to God much earlier than, you know, before I got myself into deeper problems. I mean, it didn't have to get to the point of jail. But God responded. God responded. Praise the Lord that he responded. And so you see, just like we studied on Sunday, that, you know, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Now, his form of discipline, that varies. That varies, absolutely. On nations, on peoples, on tribes, on individuals. There's a very specific formula for righteousness. It's very, very, very easy. But it is intricate. Very easy, but very intricate. And the Lord gives us his helper, the Holy Spirit. Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Remember, no sustenance in verse 4. Not just for them, for the sheep and for their donkey. And so, you know, the, 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 in verse 3, the Midianites would come up, the Amalekites and the people of the east, they would come up against them. And in verse 4, they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. Just like you, you go to the grocery store and you're going to get produce, beautiful, beautiful produce. And then all of a sudden, hordes of people come and like you have no produce. You say, oh, how mean, that's mean, that's mean. How dare they do that? Oh, look, I'm being oppressed. Oh, look, you know, Satan's attacking me. Oh, look, you know, the, the demons are against me and this and that. It's like, well, wait a second. In the case of Israel, the Lord is responding. The Lord is reactionary. It's a result of their own behaviors, result of their own actions. And what were the deeds? They forgot the Lord. They forgot the Lord. And yet, in their day, they cry out to the Lord. And the Lord responds. Look at how he responds in verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them. Now, very interesting that the Lord didn't send a priest. Very interesting that the Lord did not send a priest. And this is something that we're going to see as we continue further in our studies through the Old Testament. Who the Lord sends. Do you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember way back in our studies in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and very beautiful passages, but also very painful passages? You know, with, with Korah, when, 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 when the disobedience of Korah and the, that, you know, the, the, how Korah and those who followed him died. 
very sobering aspects of, you know, our studies through the book of Numbers and Torah. But at the same time, do you remember how we would make mention of that there's this base plate of Torah that we have, but then at the same time to remember, you know, that we're going to know why the Lord does what he does, why the Lord responds the way he responds, because he's just doing exactly what he said he would do. Well, here we are. Here we are in Judges 6. I mean, we've already seen it in the previous chapters in the book of Judges, but in Judges 6, and I hate saying that it's more of the same, but I call it like I see it. It's more of the same. The Lord, the, Israel forgets the Lord and the Lord responds. You see, the Lord is reactionary. And when they cry out to the Lord, the Lord responds again. I mean, in the future studies, I mean, when we get into the, the writings of the prophets, I mean, they straight up say, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, I'm tired of this. It gets to that point. It gets to the point, in, like in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter one, where the Lord is like straight up, listen, I don't want sacrifices anymore. I don't, I don't like the sacrifices anymore. Did the Lord change his mind? No, the people changed their heart. The Lord didn't change his mind. The Lord never changes. So why is it in Torah the Lord says that these things are good, but then we get to Isaiah and it says these things are bad? Remember, an inability of the law to address the heart. Just like we studied in Hebrews. Just like we studied in Galatia, in Galatians. You see? Because the law is a tutor which brings to Christ. You see? How beautiful is it to see what the Lord has done? I mean, as far along as we are in eternity, how beautiful it is to see what the Lord is done, has done. And the Lord sends a prophet to, the, to Israel, the children of Israel. And the prophet responds. The prophet says in, in verse 8, thus, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the hand of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Verse 10. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but... You have not obeyed me, he said. You see, it's pretty cut and dry what this prophet says. Just straight up to Israel, you guys are disobedient. You have not obeyed my voice. I meant you figure, wow, just in the, in the battle of what we studied from last chapter in, in chapter five, you'd figure, okay, this is it, you know. Now we're going to be on fire for the Lord. But in the course of time, the Lord has become forgotten. And when the Lord is forgotten, how can there be obedience? You see? And if there's no obedience, how can you not expect the oppressor to come? You see? You say, okay, this is Old Testament. This is Old Testament. No, 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 no. These things were written for our warning, for our admonition, as Brother Paul says. What is the lesson for us today? 
the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs. There's a very specific formula for victory. And people say all the time, oh, I'm being oppressed. Satan's out to get me. I'm being oppressed. Well, wait a second. Sometimes it's like, okay, brother. Okay, sister. Let's talk about this. How are you being oppressed? And then, you know, well, there's this, there's that, there's this, there's that. It's like, oh, hold on a second. Why do you call this op demonic oppression? Well, you know, the guy on the corner, you know, he's out to get me. He's out to get me. Well, you know, why is he out to get you? Well, I was supposed to give him 50 bucks, but I only gave him 20 bucks. Okay. What were you buying? Well, just a little bit of crack, you know, no big deal. You know, I'm at the street corner, got a little bit of crack, you know. You call it demonic oppression? Yeah, I'm being oppressed, you see. I'm, it's uh, coming against me. Satan, the demons are out to get me. It's like, hold the phone there. And I don't want to have sympathy for the devil. I don't want to come off that way in any way, shape, or form. But this is self-inflicted. Brother, this is self-inflicted. Sister, this is the fruit of your own doing. And you, as the word of God says, you're simply reaping what you have sown. That's it. I meant. I don't see Satan in that. I don't see the demons in that. I see some stupid choices. I mean, let's be straight up. Because sometimes we see Christians and in the church today where it's like, where is the victory? I mean, people can proclaim victory all they want. They can say victory all they want. But real victory? Real victory? I mean, look at Deborah. Look at Deborah, her beauty, her radiance. And not to exalt her, but in her stand for the Lord. And by faith, we understand and we can see that, wow, Deborah's on fire for the Lord. When all Israel forgot the Lord, she says, not on my watch. That's not happening, not for me. As for me, I'm not forgetting the Lord. As for me, I'm going to honor the Lord. And you see her victory. And praise be to the Lord. You see? I mean, sometimes you see in the church, it's like, well, how come? Why is it that we see this defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat? And sometimes these defeats, it's like, well, I'm being oppressed. It's Satan and the demons are out to get me. It's like, well, wait a second. This is self-inflicted. The Lord has become forgotten. You say, oh, that's impossible. Is it really? Look at Laodicea. You have an assembly of people, a group of people. Christians. They believe in Jesus. So why in the world is Jesus on the outside? You see? And it's so powerful when we study these passages, yes, in the Old Testament, and we say, observe Israel according to the flesh. But in the new rules of engagement, you know, Old Testament is like Fallujah. New Testament is like Haiti. I mean, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what? What? 
But, you know, we, we, we say that because in our prior studies about spiritual warfare, we have to understand the rules of engagement. Old Testament, observe Israel according to the flesh. New Testament, new covenant. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual fight. Same commander, but different rules of engagement. You see? Where, like, you know, one is, you know, like, straight, like, you know, like, physical combat and then the next is like you know like a humanitarian efforts you know just like we say like Fallujah and Haiti so if you're listening for the first time it's like where's this guy coming from but you know you listen to our prior studies go back and listen to our studies in Hebrews and you know while you're at it go back and listen to our studies through first Corinthians and then get yourself caught up to our studies in Hebrews and you'll understand a lot more and you'll understand this very concept that we teach which emanates from the word of God I mean, when, when the Lord became forgotten, even when Israel was defiled. How many times have we studied that already where, you know, you have defiled yourselves, self-inflicted, self-inflicted, self-inflicted. How many times did we say that? Old Testament, New Testament. Self-inflicted. And where we see this oppression Understand, it's then in verse 6 where the children of Israel, they cry out to the Lord. I remember when in the days of Jeremiah the prophet, and the Lord speaks of Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. The Lord says, Nebuchadnezzar, he's my servant. He's my servant. Why? He's a vessel, he's a tool of chastisement upon Israel. And just like we studied on Sunday, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. What child is without chastisement? And the writer of Hebrews says, if you are without chastisement, you are illegitimate. Where, you know, it translates in the Greek as a bastard. You're illegitimate. That's what the word of God says. If you are without chastisement. You see, because the Lord teaches us, he trains us, he equips us. The question is who among us yields to him and who among us will not forget him and who among us will honor him and praise him and worship him according to what his word says. You see. Jesus says to the woman at the well, a time is coming and it is here now when the people of God will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. You see? In spirit and in truth. You know what that means? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, which it's not a blanket statement. You know, people say, oh, I'm a Christian. Therefore, I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. Go back and listen to our studies through Acts chapter, Acts, Acts chapter 8. And you'll see that people, they became Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ, but they did not have the Holy Spirit. You see? And then when Paul or uh, 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 John and Peter, they lay hands, the Spirit comes on them, but not all of them. The Lord skipped over Simon. Why? Because of wickedness in his heart. And Jesus says that the people of God will worship him in spirit 
And not just in spirit, period. In spirit and in truth. What is truth? It's the word of God. Quides veritus. You see? When Pilate says to Jesus, and he's staring truth right in the face. That's hardcore. And the word of God teaches that, you know, that, that there is strong delusion that comes as a result for having no love of the truth. That's what the word of God says. Second Thessalonians chapter two. That's what the word says. You and me, we must have a profound, profound, profound love of the truth, even when it hurts. And if you don't have that, get it. A profound love of the truth, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much it comes contrary to what you've been taught, what you've, you know, you've experienced in the world. You know, everybody can have their preconceived notions about everything. Whatever it is, preconceived notions about X, Y, Z, and one, two, three, and A, B, C. But when the word of God speaks, it's you and me. We are the ones that have to yield to the word. You see, you can have preconceived notions about abortion. You can have preconceived notions about drugs and addiction and sexual adventures. You can have preconceived notions at uh, whatever. And you believe in Jesus Christ and you come to Jesus Christ and you repent and you're a born again believer, a fresh baby in Christ. And at that point, it's you and me that has to yield to the word of God, where you read the word of God and you realize, oh my goodness, I thought abortion was fine and this and that was dandy and, you know, everything's good to go. And you read the word of God and it's like, whoa, Lord, I had no idea that that's how you view life. You see, and that's when we're at the fork in the road where somebody could say, well, I'm going to take your word as just a suggestion and I'm going to continue in my preconceived notions because that's not just my preconceived notion. That's my notion. That's what I believe about abortion, that it's good to go and everything's fine and dandy. Listen, that's disobedience. But everybody has their choice to make. You see? Or a person can say, oh, I have these preconceived notions about abortion, all these things. Read the word of God. And it's like, whoa, Lord, I had no idea you knew that that's, that's what you that's what you say about life. I had no idea. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I repent. I repent of that prior notion that I had. Forgive me in my ignorance, Lord. And I repent before you, Lord. And I thank you for your word, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you help me in this area because I want to be a new creation in Christ and reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. And I want my life to serve for your glory, Lord. You know what's going to happen? You're going to change. Just as the word of God says, a new creation in Christ. You're going to change. 
I mean, have you ever met somebody like that? Where like they tell you their testimony and you're like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And praise be to the Lord. Because that's what he does. But what happens when people start considering the word of God as just, you know, a book of suggestions? You see, that's not good. That's when oppression comes. No victory. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And he promises victory. He promises victory. Yeah, he promises victory. The word of God promises victory. Yeah, absolutely. But whether or not that promise applies, remember, there are always effectuators to God's promises. Always. Where God says, remember the, in, 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 in Deuteronomy, where the Lord says, you know, I, I will never forsake you. But in the same chapter, he says, I'm forsaking you. What happened? Did the Lord change his mind? No, not at all. Wrong formula. The people changed their heart. You see? Where the Lord says, go fight against the Canaanites, but then in the same chapter, don't go fight against the Canaanites. Did the Lord change his mind? No, not at all. Wrong formula. The people changed their heart. It's important for us to remember this and know this. Because a lot of times, Christians, Lord, you promised victory, you promised victory, you promised victory. Yes, the word of God, the Lord, the word became flesh. He does promise victory. Well, if the Lord promises victory, how come I don't have victory? You see, did the Lord change his mind? No. Let's look at the heart. Let's look at the heart. Well, I love Jesus, but I also like my sex. I love Jesus, but I also love my crack. I love Jesus, but I also love my whiskey. I love Jesus, but I also like me cooking spoons. Doesn't work that way. God is a jealous God. I mean, what man would say to his wife, you know, you know, yeah, you know, I love you, but I also like her. I also love her. I also love her. No, no, no. What wife would like to hear that? What husband would like to hear? Yeah, I love you, but you know, I also like that guy and that guy. Why do we do that with the Lord? Why? You see? And I don't say this to, you know, hammer on anybody, but if, my beloved friend, if this is you, where you love Jesus, but you also love fill in the blank, you, and I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, you must repent before the Lord. You must. And I say these things from experience. You must repent. Let's get you cleaned up. There's a very specific formula for victory upon victory upon victory upon victory upon victory. Deborah had it. Ehud had it. You see, David had it, but then, you know, he fell and then he repented. And then, you know, there was, you know, there, that's what's so beautiful. That's what's so beautiful about repentance because the Lord responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He responds to righteousness. He responds to wickedness. 
But he also responds to repentance, just like he did with David. But even David had to reap what he had sown. This is something that is a biblical truth, but a lot of times we like to forget about it. Whatsoever a man reap that he much he must or, or whatsoever a man sows that he much he must reap. A biblical truth. This prophet of the Lord comes to the children of Israel and says, "All these things I did this for you. I did this for you. I delivered you. I brought you out, and I you know I did all these things." At the end of verse ten. But you have not obeyed my voice. Notice in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now notice, so, you know, Gideon is hard at work threshing wheat and he's hiding it from the Midianites, the Midianite oppressors. Let's look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Very interesting what we see, this wording. Mighty man of valor? What? I mean, what has Gideon done? What has he done? He's threshing wheat, and that's mighty? That's what we call valor, and he's just threshing wheat? Now understand, presently, I mean presently in judge in the Judges 6 era, presently, Gideon hasn't done anything seemingly worthy of valor, except this. When Israel became defiled, he wasn't. And sometimes standing is worthy of valor in itself. When everyone bows the knee to other gods, who doesn't? And I don't mean like, you know, everybody's doing it, so, you know, who doesn't, so let's do it. No, I mean, who doesn't, point blank. I meant, look at Nebuchadnezzar, when everybody bowed and worshipped the image, who didn't? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all they did was stand, literally, spiritually too. All they did was stand. Everybody bows down. I mean, when everybody's bowing down, I mean, when everybody's standing, you you can't tell you you, you in in a in a crowd of people when everybody was standing, you you could stand at a far distance and you would not be able to spot out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because everybody's standing. But as soon as the sound goes out and the command was given to worship the image and everybody bows down, now you can see clearly who are these three guys. You can be at any distance, a far distance, and see wow, all the multitudes and multitudes of people, they're bowing down. But who are these guys? You see? And standing in the Lord and for the Lord is a beautiful, wonderful act of valor. The angel of the Lord in verse 12 appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, 
If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Why, you know, don't forget, you know, the, the, the oppression of the Midianites. Why is it that all this is happening to us? He says, Gideon says, and where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You see, Gideon, <clears throat> he's not just calling it like he sees it. I mean, you know, not being disrespectful at all to this angel that he's speaking with. But he also sees the state of Israel. He knows God's promises. And he sees and recognizes the disconnect. There are passages in Joshua where Joshua says to Israel, plural, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with Israel. And here in verse 12, it's singular. The Lord is with you, Gideon, mighty man of valor. You see? I mean, it's beautiful when all the people worship the Lord. It's beautiful when 12 tribes of Israel are worshiping the Lord. But what about when it's just two tribes? What about when it's just Judah? And I mean, you know, the two tribes of Judah, the 10 in the, and 10 in the north of Israel, which we're going to get to in our future studies. But what about last week in our study in Judges, where it's like, you know, you know, Reuben, Dan, you juxtapose that with Zebulun, Naphtali. You see, it's beautiful when 12 tribes honor the Lord. But what about when it's just two that honor the Lord? Within each tribe, what about when it's just a family, a, you know, several families, a handful of families? What about when it's just one? You see? I mean, you remember in the second census in the book of Numbers when all Israel of the second generation on the precipice of passing into the promised land. And what did they want to do with uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb? They wanted to kill them. All the assembly, they wanted to kill. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. And they were the only two who stood for the Lord of that. Of, they were of the first generation, but of that second generation that was going to pass into the promised land. And you count the numbers, and that's like 0.003% who stood for the Lord. Because you look at the census, and when there's just two, it's like 0.003. That's a serious remnant. And it's so powerful when we consider the remnant in each dispensation of time in their era for such a time as that. What is the makeup of the remnant? What is the metal of the remnant? And I don't mean metal like, you know, a metallic object. I mean metal like, you know, the, 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 the nuts and bolts 
of a man, the nuts and bolts of a woman, the nuts and bolts of a boy, the nuts and bolts of a girl, the nuts and bolts of an old guy, and the nuts and bolts of an old lady. We see it in Deborah. We see it in Ehud. And we see it in Gideon. Even when he's questioning, he sees the disconnect. You see, why has this happened to us? In verse 13, why? Because the Lord promises all these beautiful things, but here I am. And we have the oppressors. It's like, what's happening? What's happening? Notice in verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Very interesting. This angel is saying to him, Have I not sent you? Quite the authority this angel has. Very interesting. Have I not sent you? So this angel seems to have a high level of authority. How he speaks. So he said to him in verse 15, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. This is so beautiful who the Lord chooses because he looks at the heart. Gideon, the weakest clan, least in his father's house. And yet the Lord says to Gideon, you're my guy. Very interesting. You figure the Lord, he's going to go to the gym. He's going to go to the gym and look, who's the strongest guy? Who's the strongest guy in the gym that can hold all these weapons, that can yield all these swords, and can fight? Who's the most athletic? Who's the buffest guy? Who's the guy with the biggest muscles? Who's the guy with the biggest, you know, like, you know, like, you know, the strongest arms, the strongest legs? Who's the guy that can, you know, who can fight? But the Lord looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the carnal. He looks at the heart, Gideon, and Gideon confesses, it's not just my clan that's the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. I'm just a pipsqueak. I'm just little old nothing. What does the Lord say? I'm sending you. Verse 14, have I not sent you? You see? Don't forget the state of Israel at this particular moment. They've done evil in the sight of the Lord and are actively doing evil in the sight of the Lord, which we're going to look at. They're doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and yet they still cry out to the Lord. And the Lord sends the prophet who tells them, you guys are disobedient. You guys are disobedient. And then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, in verse 11. And 
gazing upon Gideon. And then the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. Notice, Gideon says in verse 15, So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. Very interesting what we see. An offering to an angel? An offering to an angel and Gideon gets to live? I wonder who this angel is. Because it can only be one. It can only be one. Just like Joshua. Joshua's going to worship this angel and he gets to live? It can only be one. Gideon is going to give offering to this angel and he gets to live? It can only be one. And so Gideon says, you know, wait here. Don't depart. I pray until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. Verse 19, so Gideon Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. Don't forget. Don't forget. Things are tight at this particular moment. Israel is impoverished. And yet Gideon prepares an offering. I mean, in times of plenty, offerings are much easier. But when times are no longer plentiful, offerings are more difficult because there is greater there is a greater degree of sacrifice. And I don't want to devalue anything at all. And I don't want to devalue offerings at all because it's they're unto the Lord. And I but I am gonna place value just for sake of argument here. I mean, in times of plenty, a hundred dollars is just a hundred dollars in times of plenty. But in times of impoverishment, $100 has a lot more value, which necessitates greater sacrifice of the one who's making the offering. You see? Israel is impoverished. At this particular juncture, Israel is in a state of impoverishment. It's not times of plenty. You see? And yet Gideon, he makes the offering. He prepares the offering. The young goat, unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. It's no matter to Gideon. And yet we get a little glimpse of something the Lord already saw in the heart of Gideon, this mighty man of valor. Why is it? Where, you know, if the Lord says to you know, this guy over here or this guy over here or this guy over here, you know, and, and, you know, who would say, you know, let me make an offering for you. Who would say that? When it's like, well, I, you know, I, I can't give you a goat because, you know, that goat is, you know, that, that it's going to feed my family. 
I can't give you this goat because this goat, you know, I'm going to sell it and I'm going to get money. I can't give you this goat because, you know, I'm going to breed and all these things and I can get more goats out of this. I can't give you this goat because, you know, whatever reason, I can't give you this goat because, you look, I'm starving and this is going to feed my family for a month, you know. So I can't give you this goat. But it's not times of plenty. And yet we see Gideon making this offering. You see, and the Lord sees the heart. He sees the heart. I mean, in this particular moment, in responding to the prayers of the people, when they cry out to the Lord, the Lord sent the, the prophet. He didn't send the priest. He sent the prophet. He didn't say, hey, priest, go tell the people this. He bypasses the priesthood and he uses a prophet and says, prophet, go tell the people this. Go tell the people that they are disobedient. And the prophet, okay, Lord, he goes and tells the people, you guys are disobedient. You've forgotten the Lord. Meanwhile, this angel, which can only be one, This angel, in getting a deliver, he doesn't go to the gym and look who's the buffest guy, who's the strongest guy, who's the guy that can, you know, rip out trees from the ground, who's the guy that can knock, that can bench press cars, who's the guy that's strong as an ox that can, you know, move bulldozers with, the, with the, you know, his thighs that can bench press bulldozers, who's the guy that can do that? No. That's not the Lord. He looks at the heart. You see, who's least in his father's house, the weakest clan in Manasseh. And we see, wow, Gideon, he, and he's not responding to the Lord. Who The, the Lord didn't say, make an offering to me. No, it's, it's Gideon. He initiated in verse 18, don't depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring my offering. In verse 18, he says, and set it before you. You see, what a heart. What a beautiful, beautiful, glorious heart of beautiful Gideon. Just like Deborah. You see? And so Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour in verse 18. The meat he put in the basket and he put the broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. You see, Gideon, obedience, obedience. Verse 21, then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. It just so happens we learned about this on Sunday that our God is a consuming fire. And what do we see here in verse 21? Consuming fire. Praise be to the Lord. It just so happens. It just so happens. It just so happens. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. 
Notice in verse 22, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. You shall not die. I mean, just like we said earlier, Gideon makes offering and he gets to live. What does that say about this angel? Who is this angel? You see, you shall not die, the Lord says in verse 23. That means this angel, capital A, can only be one. Peace be with you, the Lord said. Do not fear, you shall not die. In verse 24, so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Verse 25, now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven, of seven years old. Now, understand, the Lord knows already. He doesn't ask, you know, oh, by the way, you know, Gideon, how many bulls does your dad have? No, the, the second bull, that's seven years old. The, the Lord knows. He sees it all. Nothing, absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing is hidden from his sight. Nothing. And so the Lord is giving him instructions. Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. You see, we see more about this man of valor, Gideon. You see, he's least in his father's house. And yet he made his choice while his dad made his own choice. This altar of Baal, his dad has. Remember with Deborah, how, you know, how we said when we were looking at our, in our study in Deborah and we made mention like, you know, I wonder what she was like before. I wonder what she was like as a little girl, as a teenager, as a young lady, as a full lady. I mean, like, you know, not young lady, but, you know, you know, lady. And here with Gideon, we, we get a picture of his life before the fight. I mean, the fight, the battle, we're going to see that next week in our study in, you know, Judges 7. But here and now in Judges 6, we get a picture of the heart of Gideon before the fight. These choices of these beautiful heroes of faith, Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, they were made before the account of heroism. I mean, do you remember our study in Joshua 1, which, you know, I may mention before that it was very difficult for us to go through and study Joshua 1 because I want every single one of us to lean on the promises of God. But remember, there are effectuators of promise. And we hit the rewind button and we look back on choices that Joshua made long before. Long before. When all Israel was defiled, who wasn't? When the Lord became forgotten, who remembered the Lord? Same with Deborah. Same with Gideon. I mean, in Gideon 7, we're going to see, like, you know, the fight. We're going to see the battle. But prior to the battle, we see these building blocks. His dad, his dad has an altar of Baal. 
an altar of Baal. That's what it, his dad straight up has an altar of Baal. And yet the Lord doesn't go to the dad. The Lord goes to the son, Gideon. I want to say something to children. Young people. My younger brothers, my younger sisters in Christ. Choose to honor the Lord. Choose to honor him. Whether or not your parents have, that's between them and God. But as for you, you choose to honor the Lord. Like Gideon, who saw the angel and lived. Gideon's dad, he straight up has an altar of Baal. Let's continue in verse 25. The Lord is telling him, tear, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. You see, dear old dad. Dear old dad. He's an idolater. With this altar to Baal. And God tells Gideon, tear it down, cut it down. You see? Gideon himself cannot be a hypocrite. Remember, only the clean can clean. And Gideon's going to be a vessel of the Lord. And we're going to see the battle next week. We're going to see the fight next week. And Gideon can't be a hypocrite. And so, you know, only the clean can clean. And for my young brothers, my young sisters in Christ, if your parents are idolatrous, you cannot partake of those things. Your parents make a choice to, you know, worship Mary, worship Buddha, worship the angels. And, you know, in the Catholic sense. Not good. It is unbiblical. And I say in the Catholic sense because here we are in the Old Testament and so we, we see this angel of the Lord. But when we look at the, the intricacies of this recipe... It can only be one, and that's Theophany, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. But if you're a young person, my younger brother, my younger sister in Christ, and your parents are straight up crazy town, I mean, still honor them as is pleasing to the Lord, but you still are in submission to Jesus Christ. You see? Mom and dad says, hey, take out the trash. You say, okay, mom, okay, pops, I'm going to take out the trash. But then dad says, hey, go to the street corner and buy me some crack. Nope, that's not happening. You see, you have a choice to make. You cannot partake of their idolatries. And I've had these conversations with young people before, young teenagers you know, I know the Bible says this and I know the Bible says this and I try to do this and you know, but my dad, my dad wants me to watch these movies with him and I can't, it's like difficult because it's like, you know, I want to be with my dad and I want to, you know, have this time with him, but I can't watch these dirty movies. Praise be to the Lord. Don't watch the dirty movies. Dad wants to watch the dirty movies? See, he wants to choose idolatry? 
That's between him and the Lord. But as for you, hey, sorry, pops. I'm not watching that. I'm not going to allow that filth into my eyes. You see? A 10-year-old telling his dad, hey, dad, I love you. But no, I'm not watching that. You have parents now that want to be their friend. Instead of a parent, instead of a dad, instead of a mom, they want to be the friend. Yeah, moms, hey, you know, look, uh, you know, I know you're underage, but I'm going to buy you this alcohol, baby girl. I'm going to buy you this, you know, go out with your friends, you know, stay here in the house. I'm going to buy you this alcohol. I know you guys are all underage. Where a daughter can say, listen, mom, I love you, but listen, that's not happening. You want to bow before the altar of whiskey? I'm not because I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I would love for you to be mom, but you make your choice. I'm going to make my choice. And I love you. I'm not trying to be mean, but I love you. But as for me, I'm going to honor the Lord. And I've had these conversations with kids, male and female. It's like, yeah, but my mom, my dad, it's like, listen, you cannot partake of those things. And parents get mad. Oh, you're breaking up my home. You're dividing my home. You're breaking up the home. You're a home wrecker. You're a home wrecker. You see? How? Because I speak of a kingdom. I speak of a different home. And there's a very specific formula for that home. You see? And the Lord is speaking to Gideon. Tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. Whoa, his own dad. His own dad. Idolatrous. And the Lord sees it all. The Lord knows it. I mean, the, the dad can't hide anything from the Lord. And notice when the Lord speaks again, he doesn't go to the priest. He sent the prophet, and now he's speaking to Gideon. But you see a little bit of the makeup of Gideon when, you know, the, the, the angel of the Lord didn't say, you know, make the, go get an offering, prepare the offering. No, he said that Gideon said to the angel, you know, wait here and, you know, stay right here. I'm going to go prepare the, I'm going to go prepare the offering in here. I'm going to offer it. And the Lord didn't kill him. The Lord says, you know, you shall not die. That angel can only be Jesus Christ, son of the most high. Notice what we see here in verse 26. And, the, you know, the Lord is giving him these instructions. And he says in verse 26, and build an altar to the Lord your God. Very interesting. It's not to the Lord God of Israel. You know, it is written to the Lord your God. You see, Israel made their choice. Israel has a choice to make. Tribes have a choice to make. Clans, families, family members. There are choices that need to be made. I mean, you take the, the church age that we're presently in today. You take the church. You take all the churches in the world. And they all say, we're Christian, we're Christian, we're Christian. But there's a very specific formula. 
the Episcopals. Oh, we're a Christian church. Okay, okay. You say you're a Christian church and the Episcopal church in its early day had some beautiful attributes. But today, today, wrong formula. The same could be said of the Lutherans. The same could be said of the Methodists. Wrong formula. What happened? And it's so powerful because, you know, each individual has a choice to make. And it's a little harder for young people if you're like, you know, eight years old, nine years old, ten years old. Because I meant like, you know, you're in the house of where you live. You're in the home of where you live. You're in the tent of where you live, depending on where you're listening. And yet, you know, there is respect given to parents, but parents have a choice to make the same way you have a choice to make. Parents who want to get drunk, a dad who wants to get drunk, and then, you know, you're like 15-year-old and you know, and your dad passes you a bottle and says, hey, get drunk with me. You have a choice to make. You see? Submission also has a very specific formula. Because when the formula is off, and dad's dear old dad says, you know, if he wants to bow down to the, the God of whiskey, okay, that's his choice. But then he says, hey, son, you know, you're of age now. And, and, you know, according to my opinion, you're 15 years old. Come on, get drunk with me. You're 12 years old. Get drunk, get drunk with me. Come on, we're going to have a, a good old time. You say, listen, pops, I, I would love to have time with you. I love you. And you tell me to take out the trash, I'll do that. You tell me to clean up my room, I'm going to do that. You tell me to, you know, clean the kitchen, I'm going to do that. But you tell me to sit down next to you and bow at the, at the altar of whiskey? I only bow before Jesus Christ and Him alone. And Dad, I love you, but that's not happening. You have a choice to make. I wish you wouldn't do that, but you have a choice to make, Pops. And so many times children are so confused. So confused because, you know, they go to church, you know, mom and dad, they get in the car, you know, they, you know, everybody have a smile on your face. Everybody look like you're happy and smile on your face. Don't tell them this. Don't tell them. Don't mention this. Don't mention the whiskey. Don't mention the, the liquor closet. You know, don't mention the pornography. Don't mention, you know, this and that. Don't mention these dirty movies. And go to church and wear a smile on your face. And I've had these conversations with kids. I have my I love spending time with my dad, but he just he wants wants to watch these movies and they got like, you know, dirty and they got the dirty stuff. And sometimes the dads are in ministry. Worship leaders, elders, pastors. And you have that guy? That guy who's corrupted himself and he's going to lead God's people to talk to the kid and say, listen, as for you, you honor the Lord. 
And that's what I say to every single young person listening. I mean, you might be eight years old. You might be 10 years old. You might be 15 years old. You might be 30 years old and like, oh, I get it. And let me tell you something. If you're 30, it's time to go. It's time to go. Get your own roof. I mean, if you're like 20, it's get your own roof. Time to go. Flap those wings. But if you're like, you know, 12, 13, 14, so much confusion in the young people today. But our God, he is not a God of confusion. You see? He is not the author of confusion. And you know, yet in the church, you see all these kids, they're confused. Because parents want to bow the knee to whatever God they serve. And the young people, my young brothers, my young sisters in Christ, as for you, you worship the Lord and Him alone. Nobody else, nothing else. And He sees, just like He saw Gideon. Just like He saw Gideon, you too can be like a Gideon. To my sisters, you too can be like a Deborah. Because the Lord, He never changes. Look at what he's doing in Israel. When, when he became forgotten, look at who he goes to. Look at who he uses. And today we're living in an era where the Lord has become forgotten. But where are his eyes? And I pray that his eyes are on you. That's my prayer for such a time as this. Then he raises a generation. Because war, it's not coming. War is here. And it's going to get worse. That, the battle of the last days, it's, it's fierce. It's serious business. I mean, to the point where it's a 100% casualty rate. And Jesus says, unless those days be shortened, no flesh would be saved. Even the elect, 100% casualty rate, but I'm going to shorten the days, he says. So we're not going to be 100%. Even the elect. You see? I mean, you might, be, you might remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, you rem, re, might remember a time where, you know, like, you know, that, like there was going to be like, uh, it, well, well, you know, the, the, you know, these mentions of, of last day's events, it's going to be like, you know, in, a, in drip format. Because if we were to just lay it out like point blank, like boom, it's terrifying. But the drip format, it's like it prepares us. You know, <laughs> it's little, you know, it's like, you know, it's just like a, a, the slow, the drip format, you know, it's more palatable, palatable. But to just lay it out, it's like, whoa, that's, that's heavy. And it is heavy. But yet we see these building blocks in preparation for this battle that it's, it's not coming. It's already here. But it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. To the point where it would be a 100% casualty rate, but the Lord is going to shorten the days. And so the Lord is speaking to Gideon and says, hey, 
Your dad wants to be idolatrous. Your dad wants to worship Baal. Your dad wants to have this wooden image beside it. He says, hey, Gideon, tear it down. Tear it down. And that's like kids. Kids, you know, you have parents. They want to do their, you know, the dirty movies. You know, just take the dirty movies and throw them away. Get rid of them. You see? They want to abdicate their responsibilities and have their homes filthy before the Lord. He's witness. It's like building blocks. Preparation for, you know, when you're of age and you say, okay, you know, I love you, but you know, I'm going to fly the coop. Look at these building blocks. You're like equipped. You're ready. I mean, the fight is going to intensify and. And it's beautiful. And parents, oh, you're a home wrecker. You're a home wrecker. You're breaking up my home. And no. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, to tell parents, you've done that yourself. You've broken up your own home. You want to do the bales? You want to do the molex, the asterisks? You want to do the sex and the, the Buddha? You want to have your, 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 uh, 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 your house as a den for the whore? A house as a den for the whoremonger? How is that service unto the Lord? You want to have your house for the, the crack? You want to have the house, your house for cooking spoons? Your pornography? How is that honoring the Lord? And I've had these conversations with kids, the younger generation, and they're so confused. It kills me. They're so confused. They're so, so, so confused. You know, how is it that the Bible says I have to submit to my parents? And if I submit to my parents, then I'm doing, I'll, I'll be partaking of something that the Lord doesn't like. And yet I get grounded if I don't do this. I get grounded if I don't. You see, young kids who are in their own home facing persecution. In their own home. I remember talking to a kid who was in a Catholic home. And he was Catholic. And he became a Christian. And we were having this conversation. He's like, you know, like, I want to go and do this ministry. And I want to do this. And I want to do that. And it, it's, you know, hold on. Hold on. Because, I mean, he was talking about, you know, the, the, the battle that he was talking about. That, that's like, that's like, some, like some deep stuff. And it's not to say, like, you can't do this. But it's like baby steps. Start in your home. Start in your home. You know, before you eat a meal, tell your mom, tell your dad, hey, you know, can I pray for the meal? And it's like, he, he prays for the meal. It's like, it's like an altar call, you know? And praise be the Lord, breakfast, like altar call, you know, lunch, altar call, dinner, altar call. This was in another country. See, and praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. A young child, a young kid, where somebody might look at him and be like, hey, just a kid, what can he do for the Lord? Let no one despise your youth. And for my young brothers, my young sisters, you know, hey, mom, dad, can I pray for the meal? 
You know, your your mom and dad, they want to do the alcohol. They want to do the, the sex and the pornography and, you know, go to the strip clubs, do the gambling and do the Buddha and do the, the Ouija boards and do the occult. You know, the next time, it, hey, mom, dad, can, can I say prayer? Oh, sure, baby girl, go ahead, say prayer. Just straight up, you know, you know, father, you know, your eyes see everything. Lord, your eyes see everything, and I pray for your hand of mercy on those who have gone against your will and those who partake of things that are not pleasing to you. And I thank you for this meal. You see, in a little altar call. And praise be to the Lord. Little warriors, you know, little, you know, eight-year-old warrior. Nine-year-old, 10, 12, 13, you know, warriors, straight up, male, female, I don't care, fighters. I mean, if the Lord were to ask me, and I said this, you know, several times before already, but if the Lord were to ask me, hey, you know, in this last day's battle, assemble an army. I wouldn't go to the gyms. I wouldn't go to like, you know, who's who's the strongest guy, you know, who's gonna who works out the most and who's the guy with the, you know, the thickest legs and the thickest arms and the biggest neck and you know who's the guy that can just wreck shop carnally. I wouldn't do that. The majority of people would be women. Women. And of that group, a whole lot of old ladies. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful old ladies. See, and a couple guys. <laughs> Praise be to the Lord. Let no one despise your youth. You're like a young kid. Hey, let no one despise your youth. Look at the Lord. He's going to Gideon. Look at what the Lord did to Samuel. When, 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 when the Lord was silent, there was no widespread revelation. It wasn't that the Lord, you know, like he, he wasn't. Like speaking, period. But who had ears to hear? Who was the one that was on the right frequency? Little Samuel. And don't forget his faith, buttressed by the jumper cables of Mama, Hannah. And so the Lord is giving these instructions to Gideon and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of, on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, you see? Specific instructions. And take the second bull and offer the, a burnt sacrifice and the wood of the image which you shall cut down. In verse 27, so Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord has said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. You know, I love the humanity we see in the people God chooses and whom he uses. I love the humanity that we see. Remember uh, Ananias? Not the bad Ananias who was married to Sapphira, but the good Ananias where, you know, the Lord says, you know, hey, bring this Saul into your house. And Ananias, uh, 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 excuse me, you know, like, uh, Lord, uh, he kills Christians. Are you sure, Lord? And the Lord revealed... The Lord revealed his plans that he had for Paul before he even told Paul. And the Lord says to Ananias, yeah, Ananias, he's my vessel, my chosen vessel, and I'm going to use him to go to the Gentiles. 
You see? When Gideon's or, or when Ananias says, you know, like, oh, wait, wait a second. Are you sure, Lord? Like this Saul, he kills Christians. The Lord didn't say, you know, how dare you say that to me? How dare you talk back to me? I am sovereign. How dare you say this to me? No. The Lord does nothing without first revealing to his servants. And the Lord revealed to Ananias, no, I'm going to use Paul. I'm going to use, you know, Saul at the time, but he's my vessel. I'm going to use him. Consider the faith of Ananias. For him, with his human eyes, to see Saul, before his name changed, but to see Saul and know that this guy kills Christians. This guy imprisons Christ Christians. He has them beaten. He has them stoned. He's dragging them to prison. He's had them drugged to, to, to prison. And with his eyes, know that that guy is dangerous. The bad dangerous. The kind that, you know, this guy is, can, can kill me. This guy can have me killed or stoned. or you know, this, this very dangerous person. What he sees with his eyes. And in his mind, he, he told the Lord. He says, Lord, are you sure? Because this guy kills Christians. Are you, are you certain, Lord? And the Lord doesn't say, oh, you know, I am sovereign. You know, how dare you say that to me? How dare you come again? No, he doesn't say that. But the Lord gently says, yeah, Ananias, I'm sure. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. But yeah, Ananias, I'm sure. And he is my vessel. The Lord revealed his plans to Ananias, his plans for Paul. And for Ananias... To take what he saw with his eyes, to take his comprehension of mind, and put that on the back burner. And lean, not just lean, but stand fully on what the Lord told him. Okay, Lord, I'm going to take this guy who kills Christians, and I'm going to bring him into in my house. He takes everything of his logic, his intellect, what he sees with his eyes, puts that on the back burner and stands on what the Lord told him. And in obedience, okay, Lord, I'm going to bring this killer in my house. You see, that's serious business. That's serious faith. And praise be to the Lord that we see this example of another hero yet another hero of faith you figure what's just an old guy in his house just an old guy let me say something to my old brothers my old sisters let no one despise your oldness look at who the lord uses look at who he chooses and look at how he uses for his own glory you say, well, you're, you're giving quite the accolades to Deborah, quite the accolades to Paul and Ananias, and you say it's for the glory of the Lord? Yes, absolutely. You know why? Because it's the Lord in them. It's the Lord in them. Gideon here, in Judges 6, in his humanity, a little freaked out, 
He's obedient to the Lord, but a little freaked out because, you know, in verse 27, you know, because in verse 20, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day. So he does it at night. Still obedient, but, you know, a little scary to do it at the daytime. So I'm going to do it at night. You see? Don't forget, he's the weakest in the weakest clan and also the least in his father's house. I fully understand his timidity and I love it because God works with it. The matter is, are you willing, Gideon? You see, just like Ananias. For Ananias to take his logic, take his intellect, take his fear. Take what he sees with his own eyes. Like this guy, this guy saw, he kills Christians. He has them stoned. He has them imprisoned. He has them beaten. And to take what he sees with his eyes and put it to the side and say, Lord, your will be done. I will bring him into my house. I will bring this killer into my house. You see? And it's the Lord that made him dangerous. It's the Lord that made Paul dangerous, but the good dangerous. The good dangerous. It's the Lord that made Paul deadly. The good deadly. The wolf killer. Formerly killing Christians and now killing wolves. You see? And the Lord revealed his plans to Ananias. Oh, he's just an old guy sitting at home. That's what the fool would say. But the wise, he's a hero. You see? Gideon, little Gideon here. Well, weakest in his father's house or least in his father's house. Little Gideon. He's willing. And listen, God can work with that. God can work with that. And sometimes, you know, you have these young Christians. And when I say young Christians, I mean like, you know, in the faith. A person comes to Christ that, you know, they're, they're like a month in. A baby Christian. They're a month in. And there is that level of timidity. Listen, that's okay. I get it. I understand. And you know what? Above that, the Lord knows. The Lord sees. And with Gideon, it's, you know, the Lord works with him. And, you know, we're going to touch on this a little bit more. But, you know, in the case of Gideon, you see his timidity. But you also see the same timidity in Moses. You see, in Peter. And praise be to the Lord, because this humanity, the Lord works with us. In submission to him, the Lord works inside of us. He changes us. He changes the heart of a man, the, the heart of a woman. He changes. It's called, you know, the renewing of our minds. There is timidity in serving the Lord, which in the course of time, it dissipates along the way. 
It's how a person learns to trust the Lord more and more and more and more, and in so doing, fall deeper in love with him more and more and more and more. With Gideon, he's obedient to the Lord, a little timid. He does his work at night. And we see here in verse 28 what happens in the morning. And when the men, in verse 28, when the men of the city arose, uh, uh, when the, when, and when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there, there was the altar, of, there was the altar of Baal torn down. And the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bowl was being offered on the altar, which he had been, which had been built. So they said to one another in verse 29, who has done this thing? Who has done this thing? Straight up, they, who, who's done this? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash has done this thing. Then the man of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. Whoa, this says a lot about the people. This says a whole lot about the people, because remember, the Lord, he became forgotten, and they did evil in his sight. And as a result, the Lord is reactionary. As a result, they became impoverished with no sustenance. They cried out to God, which, you know, you think, you know, that's a good thing. And it absolutely is a good thing. And you'd think even then they would respond to the prophet who confirms their disobedience. And now they want to kill Gideon. Notice they, they cry out to God while being cleaved to Baal. You see, the prophet that the Lord sent to them has confirmed that they are in disobedience to him. They're disobedient to the Lord. And we just see more of more evidence, more fruit of that disobedience by their very behaviors. The altar of Baal torn down and they respond. They say, hey, Joash, give us your son because we want to kill him. You know why? Because he cut down the wooden image and he destroyed the altar of Baal. It says a lot about them. It says a lot about who they honor says a lot about their divided hearts. You see? Oh, I love God, but, you know, I'll cry out to God, but I really like Baal. I'll cry out to God, but I really like the wooden image. You say, oh, that's the Old Testament. Well, today, well, I love Jesus, but I also like my sex. I love Jesus, but I also like my crack. I love Jesus, but I also like my whiskey. Nothing new under the sun. In verse 31, but Joash, remember he's Gideon's dad. He said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put, be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. 
Now, we see a little bit of the development of fruit in Gideon's choice to honor the Lord. Joash, who's Gideon's dad, may have thought very highly of Baal. I mean, enough to worship him and build an altar, which is bad. But when the authority of Baal is challenged, it's time for Baal to prove himself. I mean, if he is a god, let him plead for himself, is what Gideon said, or, or what Joash said. Let, let Baal plead for himself. You know, you might recall when I mentioned my failed suicide attempts. When that happened, in that time period, very dark moments in my life, I had a bunch of, shall we say, therapeutic resources and backdrops of religion, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, Catholicism, alcohol, therapists, counselors. And let me tell you something. 100% of them failed. In my darkest moments, they all failed. Had they power, let them prove themselves. But they were proven to be powerless. Jesus, he healed me. You see, we can look at Gideon and see that In one regard, it doesn't look like he's done anything yet. I mean, this is pre-battle. I mean, in, 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 in Judges 6, that's the fight. You know, that's, that's where he really, that's the brass tacks. That's where he really gets down to business in, in Judges 7, where the battle, you know, the, 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 the battlefield and the war and combat. And that's where we see like, oh, this is so awesome. And that's where we see all the action. But I say, oh, contraire. Oh, contraire, he's done quite a bit. He's already fighting. How? In choosing to honor the Lord. Living sacrificially unto the Lord. Remember the offering that he made? He, he initiated it. The first offering. That was initiated by Gideon. He said, well, I, I want to see the battlefield. I want to see the fight. I want to see this. I want to see that. And all oh, that's the, that's like, you know, the, 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 the brass tacks of the evidence of godliness and righteousness. But I say, oh, contraire. Because the Lord looks at the heart. And he went to Gideon. You see? And Gideon is honoring the Lord. And when nobody does that, standing, that's a radical act. I mean, today, in these last days in which we live, when nobody is honoring the Lord, the majority, the remnant is. When the majority is not honoring the Lord, and you know, the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. I speak of the church. Standing. The very act of standing 
That's radical. It's a radical thing. It's a sad state of affairs that it is a radical thing, but it's a sad state of affairs for them. For the remnant, it's beautiful. And so notice what we see here in verse 32. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerub. Jerubel saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Now, I'm going to be straight up. This hurts. Verse 32 hurts. It breaks my heart. Because Gideon's dad gives, gives him, an, I mean, his name is Gideon. But Gideon's dad gives him another name, Jerubel. My son has torn down his altar. Let Baal be against him. That's how it translates. Let Baal be against him. You'd think Joash, his dad, his dad. You'd think he'd be more of a help to his kid, but he isn't. You see? Not only, you know, you know, let Baal prove himself, let Baal, you know, if he is a God, let him plead for himself. It's like, okay, I, I get that, you know. But then he's, then he says, let Baal be against my son. Let Baal plead against my son. You'd think he'd be more of a, a wall for his son. Protective wall in protecting his son. But no, he just kind of leaves him there. No protective wall for his son. And then he also calls him Jerubel. Let Baal be against him. It breaks my heart. It hurts. I don't like seeing it, but yet we see it. I don't like that it's there, but yet it's there. I want to say something to children from a broken home of any age, really, because brokenness creates wounds that seem to never heal. I mean, I've had conversations with old people and it's like, you know, they're they're kind of like, you know, they, they open up and they, you know, they start to weep. It's like, well, you know, brother, what's happening? Sister, what's happening? And then they start to talk about things that happened as a child. And it's like, whoa. And, you know, like they're out of their home, but they were from a broken home. And those wounds, they hurt. And they're deep and they seem to never heal. So I don't care how old you are or how young you are. You might be 10 years old and you know, wow, I'm in a broken home. You might be 50 years old and it's like, you remember that you came from a broken home. And I want to say something to children of any age from a broken home. You may have a parent or parents or a non-existent parent or non-existent parents. Someone who has abandoned you. Choosing rather drugs, alcohol, sexual adventures, other gods, other things that they serve while abandoning you. And sometimes, you know, it's the, the, the cause of the abandonment is because they chose X, Y, Z 
over you. Man, it's, it's painful. It's severely painful. And the wounds are deep and it hurts and it's devastating. But I tell you the truth. Let that very pain testify that this world is not our home. I'll say that again. Let the pain be testimony and proof that this world is not our home because you have a father who loves you. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have a family of faith with an innumerable company of angels. That reunion, that reunion, a future event will be nothing like you've ever experienced before. I tell you the truth. And it will be complete and total joy and glory. Looking to Jesus, just as we studied on Sunday, it just so happens. Looking to Jesus, let us walk on this narrow path together. Together, straight up, home, home to paradise, to Zion. Remembering that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what the word of God says. I wish verse 32 wasn't here, but it is. I don't like it, but I also love it. I don't like it because I wish Gideon's dad would be more of a protective wall for his son. But he isn't. But you know what his son becomes? A protective wall for Israel. <laughs> you see how the Lord works? He sees. The Lord sees. And this is before the fight. I mean, the fight is next week. I mean, not next week, but I mean, in Judges 7. That's the fight. But the Lord sees the heart. And Israel in a state of apostasy. And in their oppression, they cry out to the Lord. But they also have their Baal. Remember, it's like, you know, like we want to kill. Who is this person that, is, that has done this to the altar of Baal? Joash, bring out your son because we want to kill him. And you would figure, wow, you know, why isn't the dad more of a protective wall for his son? And yet we see the Lord who is that protective wall for Gideon. Beautiful, beautiful Gideon. A little, little timid. But praise the Lord that we see his timidity. Because even Gideon, you're going to see him mature 
you're going to see him grow pretty quick too. And the Lord works with his timidity. You see? Verse 33, Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Now, very interesting. We see correlation to prophetic events because, you know, there's, prophetically speaking, another alliance with kings of the east, which cross over into Megiddo. Now, people say Megiddo and Jezreel, two different, two distinct locations, which is true, but when you follow certain routes, we'll say, Something else is revealed, and these are things that we'll cover in future studies. It's very powerful what the Lord has done. Beautiful. But who has ears to hear? Who has eyes to see? And in these last days, for such a time as this, who is it that the Lord is raising up? Where are the Gideons among us? Where are the Debras among us? Where are the Ehuds among us? Definitely of the remnant. But even within the remnant, understand there is a specific formula. And the Lord sees. We see in verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet and the Abiezrites gathered behind him. So now you see Gideon, he's, he's served as jumper cables for other people. The Abiezrites, they're there with Gideon. You see? You see how Deborah was a jumper cable to Barak and they, and she was a jumper cable to Israel. You see the same exact thing happening through Gideon. Jumper cables. Verse 35, And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who, get, who also gathered behind him, who also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. I have a love for Zebulun and Naphtali. You know, the fighters, <laughs> warriors, straight up. I love these, this, 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 this tribe. Zebulun and Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. In verse 36, so Gideon's, I mean, if you're wondering, like, what are you talking about, Zebulun and Naphtali? Go back and listen to our study from last week. You'll see. In verse 36, so Gideon said to God, now, I love this so much because in verse 14, the Lord told him, you're going to go save Israel. And we're nearing the precipice of battle. And Gideon wants, he wants to make sure. And I love the humanity we see because the humanity that we see in the timidity of Gideon, we see how, you know, the Lord, you know, tear down this, tear down this altar and this wooden image and he does it at night. So, and the Lord is fine with that. And then here we see, you know, where, you know, Gideon, he wants to make sure. And in the humanity that we see in Gideon, we see something else tenderness of God in dealing with Gideon, in revealing more and more of himself to Gideon, which begs a question. And the question is, why is the Lord strict with some and light on others? I mean, understand that here Gideon is showing Signs of doubt, 
where with others, God doesn't like it. So what's different? I'll give you the answer. Age. That's what's different. Because to whom is given, much more is required. I mean, if you tell a three-year-old, hey, baby girl, take out the trash. You know, there are certain leniencies that you will exemplify unto baby girl because she's three years old. Baby girl, take out the trash. She might have some spills. She might have, you know, drop something. And it's not like a big, enormous, you know, piece of, you know, bag of trash. It's like, you know, a little, little baggie full of garbage. And, you know, method of instruction, too, is going to vary because, I mean, you know, it's, uh, baby girl's three years old. You have to show her, walk with her. But if you have a 15-year-old, you have a 15-year-old that doesn't do chores like you tell them to, that's a different ballgame. Baby girl is three years old. It's like, you know, baby girl, take out the trash. She's not taking out the big, enormous behemoth bag. No, just a little little sack with, you know, a little apple core in there, banana peel, an empty cup. Baby girl, I'm going to teach you to take out the trash. You take this little bag and you put it here. And you're lenient. You're gracious and merciful with her. You're loving and you're tender with her because she's baby girl. She's just three years old. But 15-year-old, he has chores to do and he refuses to do them. That's a different ballgame. Now it's, you know, house of pain. No house of pain for a baby girl because she's just three. She's learning. But 15-year-old? And he wants to get froggy with you? Okay, house of pain. You see, with the Lord, we see such gentle, gentle tenderness. But we also see a hand that is seemingly not gentle. And I say seemingly for a reason. Because, just like we studied on Sunday, it just so happens. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. You see? And Gideon here in verse 36, he says to God, he says, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor if there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. It was so. You see the Lord? Just like baby girl with the trash. Okay, yeah. Because Gideon himself is learning. You see? Just like baby girl with the... Gideon's not like the 15-year-old. Whereas with the 15-year-old, house of pain. I told you to do this. You don't do it. You know, I'll, you know, I'll extend you a little bit of, of mercy and grace. You better do it. And he still doesn't do it. Okay, I extended you mercy. I extended you grace. Now, house of pain. But not the baby girl. Because she's learning. And with Gideon, the Lord told him, I'm going to save Israel by your hand. And verse 36, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, you know, I thought it was bad to doubt. The Lord knows what he's working with. Understand that. The Lord knows what he's working with. 
He knows you. He knows me. He knows our heart. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows the heart of men, the heart of women. He knows. And when Gideon asked him and says, okay, if you do this, then I shall know in verse 37 that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so in verse 38. It was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water, a bowl full of water. You see, the Lord is showing himself. He already did, but now it's more and more. Gideon, he's learning to also trust more and more. And then we get into verse 30, <laughs> verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece. See, before it was let it be wet. Now it's let it be dry. But on all the ground, let there be dew. And Gideon's now 15. Remember, it's like this age three, you know, young, young, just like, just like the, the example we gave with baby girl at age three and then the 15 year old. Look at verse 40. And God did so that night. God did. See, God, God shows himself faithful. Remember, to whom is given, much more is required. I want to say something here. People want to treat God like a genie. Oh, God, please do this. Please do that. And you know what? He does. He does. I mean, sometimes. But don't forget that his word also says for us, okay, you do this or don't do that. When the Lord shows himself faithful, somebody prays to the Lord, Lord, you know, do this and do that. Lord, please, I beg you, Lord, please do this. And in the name of Jesus, listen, sometimes he does it. I mean, if you're like, you know, Lord, give me a Ferrari, you know, you're probably not going to get a Ferrari. But sometimes you pray and the Lord does exactly as you asked. What about when, what, when the Lord asks of us through his word? When the Lord shows himself faithful, who is the one who will respond and show himself or show herself faithful unto him? You see? Because we say, Lord, 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 please do this or please don't do that. And, you know, he responds and he shows himself faithful. Baal was in, in, in regard. Remember, the Lord is the one who says, come and let us reason together. It's the Lord who says that. The invitation, come on, let's reason together. But in reasoning with God, we have to be reasonable. Understand that. In reasoning with God, let us also be reasonable. Understanding that he is God. And there are times when the Lord, I mean, he, he will do exactly as we request. But then what about when he speaks through his word? What about when he speaks? 
You see, God was faithful. God is always faithful. God will always be faithful. What about us? What about you? What about me? When the word says, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. Will we, will we respond in like? You see? Will we respond in obedience? Let me tell you something. If the answer is no, you're treating God like a genie. And you need to repent. Straight up, point blank, you need to repent. Let's get you cleaned up. You need to be right with God. And for you, you're a Christian, but you're wishy-washy. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you recommit your life to Christ. And play, play, don't play games with him. You come back, you listen, and we grow together. Don't treat God like a genie. But if the answer is yes, and you are obedient unto the Lord, that's a good thing. Excel in this and mature even further in Christ. And you see the Lord revealing himself more and more and more to Gideon. You see, this is before the fight. Before the fight. These are things that we need to learn in these last days because the fight today, this, this last day's battle, it's intensifying. It's going to get worse. It's going to get so bad that there will be a 100% casualty rate. And Jesus says, unless those days were shortened. Praise be to the Lord that the days are shortened. But the battle is still going to be fierce. You see? In verse 40, and God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. You see? And we come to our the end of our study here in Judges 6. Before the fight, you figure, okay, there's no action. You know, I want to go to the action of the battlefield in Judges 7. But look at the action that we've already seen in the heart of Gideon. You see? A heart that chooses to be obedient unto the Lord. You see? Baby steps, and the Lord even further reveals himself to be faithful. We're going to end our study here. Pick up next week in chapter 7 to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.